0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Music for a While. I'm Jay Nordlinger, music critic of the New Criterion. I know you didn't come here to be read to, but do you mind if I read you something, something I wrote? I think you may like it, and there will be a payoff at the end. Okay, here it is. This is a preamble to a review. Every art has its very famous works. Hamlet, the Mona Lisa... Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Are they overly familiar? Maybe. But they are not overly familiar, not familiar at all, to those who don't know them. Robert Shaw, the late conductor, would tell orchestras when they're about to perform a very, very familiar work, say Beethoven's Fifth, remember, there will be people in the audience hearing it for the first time, and the last time. Make it good. Yes, don't phone it in. It could be, too, that performers are performing a work for the first time, a work or a part they have long dreamed of performing. They should relish the moment, bask in it. A few years ago, I interviewed an opera singer who said something like this, You've landed a part you've always wanted to sing. You have wonderful colleagues in the cast. You have a wonderful conductor and a wonderful orchestra. You're incredibly excited. Then you get there and the production is one of those subversive, transgressive jobs. This is incredibly disappointing. Soul-crushing. Opera critics and opera professionals of various sorts see the same operas over and over. So when it comes to productions, many of them are looking for something novel, something to relieve their boredom. I understand them. But I also think about the newcomer, or about the person who will see Carmen, let's say, only two or three times in his life. Is anything owed him? Some years ago, a critic was moaning about the Zeffirelli production of Turandot at the Metropolitan Opera. The production was critic-proof, he said. No matter how hard the critics tried to kill it, the public loved it so much that the Met kept it. Toward the end of his career, I interviewed Lauren Mazel the conductor. I observed to him that, after all this time, he still seemed to enjoy conducting very, very familiar music. Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, for example. "'Is that symphony still glorious and thrilling to you?' I asked. "'It's as glorious and thrilling as the day it was written,' he answered. "'And if you become jaded because of overexposure, "'the problem is yours, not the composer's.' I brought up the same subject, Familiar Music, with another conductor, Ricardo Muti. He said that he actually goes and gets a new score, one with no Martins in it. He wants to approach the music as freshly as possible. That is a smart approach. On Saturday night, American Ballet Theatre ended its season at the Metropolitan Opera House with The Sleeping Beauty, Tchaikovsky. When I was younger... I thought the music, much of it, was silly. Not many are the boys, I would imagine, who would sit still for the Sleeping Beauty, either as music or as dance. When I matured, I was in awe of the thing. One by one, the pieces and dances come, the music and dances of the Sleeping Beauty. On Saturday night, I felt I was greeting old friends. I was happy to see them. They do not wear out their welcome, I find. Of course, this is very much a question of attitude. If you go to the Sleeping Beauty with an oh-no-not-again attitude, why, you should probably stay home. I'll give you a little detail. When the orchestra built up to the great B-flat major waltz, I found myself grinning like a jack-o'-lantern, as my grandmother would say. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm done reading. You want to get playing? We'll hear that waltz with its build-up from the great Gennady Rostisvensky conducting the BBC Symphony Orchestra in 1979. was The Waltz from the Sleeping Beauty by Tchaikovsky, played by the BBC Symphony Orchestra under Gennady Rojasvensky. To say it once more, I'm Jay Nordlinger, bringing you music for a while. The producer is Scott Imbergut. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, you may do so at iTunes, Google Play, and so on. If you'd like to write to me, the address is nordlinger at If you'd like to advertise on this program or sponsor it, let me know. If you'd like to receive the podcast by email, links to new episodes, let me know. Uh oh, more reading, but it won't take long. This is from a review of a chamber concert. The first work was Mozart's violin and piano sonata in B flat, Kirkel 454. Let me tell you a secret something not all critics will tell you. This sonata can be boring as hell, like a lot of Mozart. It takes performers to bring it to life, as with a lot of Mozart. It will not play itself. You have to play it. You have to reveal its greatness. This is one reason that Mozart is a great test, probably the best test, of performers. Yep, so true, if I say so myself. Let's test David Oistrock, the great Russian violinist, and his pianist Vladimir Yampolsky, playing in 1956. Again, the work is Mozart's Sonata in B-flat, Kirkel 454. We'll hear the first three minutes or so of the first movement. The sonata begins with a kind of announcement, as I put it, a musical announcement. The tempo is largo, and it will soon shift into allegro. But enough talk. Let's listen. (laughs) ¶¶ that was the first movement, a portion of, of Mozart's Sonata in B-flat for violin and piano, Kirkel 454. I was out for a walk in the park, and a man said, It's gonna rain, then. You know I thought of Steve Reich, his famous piece from 1965, that pioneering work of minimalism. In Union Square, San Francisco, Reich recorded a Pentecostal preacher, Brother Walter, railing about the end of the world. Reich took the tape and played with it. He made Minimalism. It is a long piece, and it aims for the hypnotic, like all minimalism, or most. We're going to hear maybe two minutes of it, the first two. See if you can relax into it, or get with it. Here goes.
1: He began to warn the people, he said, after all, it's going to rain after all, for 40 days and for 40 nights, and the people didn't believe him, and they began to laugh at him, and they began to mock him, and they began to say, it ain't going to rain! (laughs) It's all rain, 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 it's all it's all it's it's all it's this the car, the car, the
0: that was a little of it's gonna rain by Steve Reich. And now for something completely different. At National Review, where I work, that's my day job, an intern introduced himself as James Sutton. I couldn't help thinking of a lyric. Little people who ain't got nothing, join the people who live on Sutton. Everybody is out there struttin', spreading rhythm around. Sutton would be Sutton Place, the swank locale in New York. The song is "Spreadin' Rhythm Around by Jimmy McHugh, music, and Teddy Keeler, lyrics. They wrote it in 1935. We'll hear a 1978 recording by the cast of the Broadway show Ain't Misbehavin'.
1: And tearing, everybody you meet is raring, spreading rhythm around. Up in Harlem Flats, all of the cats give it that thing. Which, when you're in step, all of the cats people call swing. Those who can't afford silk and satin, James and Jingle, those who are Latin, come, come from Yonkers, the, the Bronx, and Staten, spreading rhythm around.
0: Hugh and Keeler, performed by cast members of Ain't Misbehavin. And I ain't either, as Fats used to say. Again, something completely different. Arvo Perrot, the great Estonian composer, arguably the greatest composer in the world, certainly one of. I'd like to play a little of his Symphony No. four, which is dedicated to Mikhail Khodorkovsky. Khodorkovsky was a big businessman in Russia who got under Putin's skin. Putin imprisoned him for ten years. Then Khodorkovsky went into exile. He now works for human rights, democracy, and freedom, especially through his Open Russia organization. I interviewed him and wrote about him. He wrote a little memoir of his time in prison, sketches of people he met there. The book is called My Fellow Prisoners. The preface begins as follows. There were many times in prison and later in the camp and then again in prison and then again in the camp when I really wanted to listen to a live performance of classical music. Arvo Parrott wrote his Symphony No. 4 in 2008. It was premiered by Esapekka Salonen and the Los Angeles Philharmonic in January 2009. Here is what Parrott said, what he wrote, concerning the Dedication. It would seem to me that the person of Mikhail Khodorkovsky needs no introduction. His name and the story connected with it have received widespread attention in the West. With my composition, I would like to reach out my hand to the prisoner, and through him, to all those imprisoned without rights in Russia. I dedicate my Fourth Symphony to Mikhail Khodorkovsky, wishing him peace of soul and vigilance of mind. Anything more is beyond my power. I do not know whether he will ever be able to hear this composition nevertheless I hope that my carrier pigeon does reach far away Siberia one day I propose to play the first 5 minutes or so of the final movement marked deciso or decisive This is again the symphony number no. 4 of Arvo Pärt Ladies and gentlemen, we have heard part of the final movement of the Symphony Number no. 4 by Arvo Perrot dedicated to Mikhail Khodorkovsky. Two great men, Pärt and Khodorkovsky. Do you recall that earlier in the show I mentioned a chamber concert I'd reviewed, played some Mozart? Also on that concert was Arensky, Anton Orensky, his piano trio in D minor. Arensky, a Russian, lived from 1861 to 1906. He studied with Rimsky-Korsakov. He went on to teach many others, including Rachmaninoff and Scriabin. He had a bad end. Afflicted with alcoholism, he died in his mid-40s. That piano trio was wonderful, and I would single out the second movement, the scherzo. True to its name, scherzo means joke, it is a jokey nutty flitty thing with a crazy waltz in the middle. Arensky's scherzo is an ingenious little piece all on its own. We'll hear it played now by the Bozar Trio. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That was the scherzo from Arensky's Piano Trio in D minor, played by the Bozar Trio in 1994. Manahm Pressler piano, Ida Kavathian violin, and Peter Wiley cello. So I mentioned Scriabin, the genius Scriabin, who studied with Arensky among others. I thought I knew his oeuvre, his output, pretty well, but the other day. I discovered or rediscovered, I'm not sure, a prelude of his The Prelude in C major Opus thirteen number one. It is unlike Scriabin in general. It is stately, noble, and almost sacred. I think a bit of the profession of the Knights, sorry, not profession, procession of the Knights of the Holy Grail in Parsifal, Wagner's opera. At any rate, this is my new favorite piece of piano music. And we'll hear it played by the great Dmitri Alexeyev. There's a whole world, a universe, in that brief little piece, the Prelude in C, Opus 13, Number One, by Alexander Scriabin. The pianist was Dmitri Alexeyev. Once more, completely different. In the previous episode of Music for a While, I played what I call the greatest song in the world, along with two other candidates for that title, classical music. Writing about this episode, I said I should have included Steal Away, written and recorded by Robbie Dupree. Was I kidding? Yes, but not entirely. I love this song, considering it a beauty and intelligent, too. It is one of the leader of my time, L-I-E-D-E-R. I was 16 when it came out in 1980. I will always love it. You might, too. Here's Robbie. Thanks, everyone.